Friday morning, 10 a.m., or at least it was when this was originally recorded, and we're doing it live right now. But wherever you're listening to, wherever you're finding Philanthropy in Focus, I'm excited that you found us. I'm excited that you found me. We have fun on my show. We laugh a bit, but we talk about serious topics. What is Philanthropy in Focus, Tommy D? Yes, I'm talking to myself. Okay, well, let me tell you, Tommy D. I'll help you out with that. Philanthropy in Focus, gang, is my answer to this challenge or my answer to this, what I would consider opportunity. Nonprofits, they change our world each and every minute of every hour of every day, month, year, the whole thing, right? We know that. I say it every single week. My challenge, though, that I've seen as as an opportunity, as a challenge, something to deal with, is these organizations are occasionally and at times, I'd say, overlooked. We know as being part of the sector, we know often underfunded and then unrecognized for the work that they're doing. So, look, I think a couple of weeks ago I had my, uh, well, I don't think, I know a couple of weeks ago I had my friend Ken Serini on the show, but I think that much of what I've come up with with this show, this program, comes from my relationship with my buddy Ken Serini, founder of the Long Island Match Awards and the New York City Imagine Awards, because that award series shines a light on the sector. And I guess, uh, look, everything comes from something else, and we continue to iterate, and I think, in watching Ken and what he does in the sector has uh, you know, sort of inspired me to do this show. And I, I'm pretty sure I told him that a few weeks ago when he was on the show. So look, I'm trying to shine a light continuously on the nonprofit sector. Some topics are, uh, are, are pretty serious and are pretty uh, challenging social issues. And, and one of those topics is something we're going to discuss today. Um, so look, I want you, if you're listening to focus P-H-O-C-U-S, to focus on how you can help out, how you can be part of the solution, how you can make an impact. I talked to you about philanthropy. I, I talked to you about doing service. I talked to you about 60 days of service. Maybe we'll talk about that today. Uh, you know, we're hitting uh, day 12 and 13 coming up this week. So some way to go on that. But I am uh, I'm bringing one of my boys, one of my sons on a day of service this week. So that's exciting. Tell you about that uh, coming up soon. But how can you do service? How can you make an impact? How can you get involved in organizations? Nonprofits need help. They need volunteers. They need donors. They need board members. We'll probably talk about some of that with um, with Maricela and talk about what human options may have a need for. So look, every Friday morning, 10 a.m., it's live. And then it, here on talkradio.nyc, talking alternative broadcasting on Facebook. And then on all your podcast platforms, you can find Philanthropy and Focus. Focus is P-H-O-C-U-S. And I tell you why. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and we used to write fat, P-H-A-T, on our notebooks and stuff like that. And plus, I like alliteration. So philanthropy in focus is the name of the show. If you ever want to find out what I'm doing, TommyD.NYC on Instagram, TommyD.NYC on TikTok. Yes, Maricel, I'm on TikTok. I'm ticking and talking. You're ticking and talking. I'm ticking and talking, baby. My (laughs) My kids, one of my sons sort of followed me last night on TikTok. I said, I didn't even know you were allowed to have a TikTok yet. So him meaning I was saying that to him. So- uh, so listen, that's how you guys can follow what I'm doing and obviously stay stay tuned in with the program. Every week I bring on another thought leader, another executive director, CEO, the, the top of the pyramid in a nonprofit organization to tell their story. Uh, I know they, you know, most of them, and I'm sure Maricel is the same, is going to say it's not about me. It's about my team. It's about my volunteers. It's about the work we do on the grounds. But since I can't have the whole team on the show, I ask for uh, I ask for the leader to come on the show and, and tell their story. So, first of all, before I jump into bio and all that kind of stuff, because I've been blabbing on for four minutes already, I would like to say good morning to my guest, Maricela Rios Faust, CEO of Human Options. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good. How about you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I mean, it's 10.04 on the East Coast. I know it's a little early where you are. Just a tiny bit. Thanks for having me on, Tommy. You're very welcome. Thanks for making the time and, and thanks for, uh, you know, getting your cup of Joe real quick. Let me see that mug again so everybody can see. Shout out. Look at that. Human options. I got to pick up one of those mugs. I got to go to your website and buy one of those later on. Don't, right, send, don't, don't send me one. I want to, well, you can send me one, but I'm making a donation for the mug. All right. We'll work, we'll, we'll work out the details <laughs> later on. No freebies for the guy in the attic. All right. So um, let, let's start. Just let's go right into this. I mean, I'm going to read your background, but what I always like to start with is what drew somebody to service work? Was there something in their life? Was it always a calling? Was there a catalyst? Was there something? Else? Sometimes, no. Sometimes people are just drawn to being a servant, being servant leaders and, and doing this type of work. Um, I want to ask you that, but I do want to give some some background to uh, to our friends who are listening. So I will read from uh, some prepared notes, which is not always my style, but we're going to do it. So since 2006, Maricela Rios Faust 
has provided leadership support and vision to human options. She capitalized on her 30 years of experience working with vulnerable populations, and that has been a key driver in human options, becoming a comprehensive domestic violence services provider in Orange County. Her commitment comes from her desire to raise her daughter in a world where relationship violence is not tolerated. Recognized as a leader in the field and the nonprofit sector, Maricela serves on the board of directors of Family Violence Appellate Project, 1OC, and Orange County's Continuum of Care Governing Board. She also co-chairs Orange County's Domestic Violence Death Review Team and serves on Orange County's Women's Health Project Advisory Board and is a member of 1OC's Board Diversity Task Force. She's also a member of the California Partnership to End Domestic Violence and has served as treasurer and treasurer and president of the board of directors of that organization from 2011 to 17. And in 2014, was named one of Orange County's most influential people for her leadership on increasing awareness of health impacts of domestic violence. Listen, thank you for being here. I'm blessed to have you on the show. I'm appreciative of the work you've done. I'm excited that we're going to dive into this. And before you even start, here's what I'm going to read off of. This is from the um, Centers for Domestic Violence. It says national statistics. And I think it's important to kind of frame where we're going today. If it's okay with you. And you can correct me as we go through this if any of these numbers are wrong. But on average, people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner. During one year, that equates to 10 million women and men, guys. This is not just a, a female situation. Women and men, 10 million women and men. One in four women and one in nine men will experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner uh, contact sexual violence, and intimate partner stalking with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, and on and on. And I don't say an on and on as it bores me. I say an on and on because that is how impactful this is. Uh, we do talk serious topics here, and I think today is one of those days we're going to do that. So, Maricela, let's talk to me about your background. I wanted to set the stage, but let's start with you. How do you end up with all these accolades and all this involvement, how do you start this? Why? What was it that drew you, drew you to this, this part of the world? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting that if I have to kind of think back in terms of what drove me to just service in general is watching my parents, right? Both my mom and my dad were like incredibly uh, civic minded. I think no matter, it, it didn't matter what, it could be something super small or something big. Um, just watching them in the neighborhood, if somebody needed help, they were there to, to give help. If, um, you know, whatever they had, they were willing to give. And I think that really made it really something that for me was a value is to give back and to be part of a community that contributed to overall well-being of everybody else. Um, and it was interesting. I think my um, I was probably very one of the few I realized now looking back when a few Latina women or Latina girls whose dad really pushed her to go to college. I mean, it was an expectation. It was not something that was, it was an optional, I guess. You would it was say. not an option. Um, which is, you know, at the time, I didn't even realize what a big deal that was um, until I got to college and until I actually um, had a conversation with a young girl who was very similar to me, Latina, uh, both parents immigrated. And she said, well, what did you do to talk your parents into letting you come to college? And I said, Wow. I didn't even really know it was a choice. And so I think that really, for me, opened up my eyes as to how unique my parents were when it came to service and getting involved. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, it's in, and, and it wasn't, it was in college that I actually found the opportunity to give back in ways that have been the most meaningful for me um, from being a part of a gang prevention program and early on in my career. Um, to learning about individuals who were both substance using or um, at risk for intimate partner violence. Um, and then eventually meeting the founder of Human Options and really falling in love with the mission and falling in love with the ability to make an impact here. That's, that's incredible. And, and I, I think there's always, you know, these stories that draw people to service. You know, I, I sometimes I, I, I'm almost anxious when I ask the question, because what if it, what if there is no story there, Tommy? <laughs> there, there always seems to be something there. And, and, you know, I, I try not to make a big deal about what I do personally, but I, I will say, I'll, I might have told this story on the show before, but I, I, I am doing some stuff out there and I try to make an impact in the community, um, whether it be, you know, when I can write a check, 
but I, I think there's more when we can get our hands dirty and roll up our sleeves and do stuff. And I may have told this story in the show. And if I did, I apologize if you guys have heard it, but I think I'm going to just tell it again. So, um, so my, uh, one of my sons, we got uh, an email that he had done some really uh, great stuff for a, a student in his class, just looking out for, for some, another person and um, not a heavy lift, but not something not not ordinary either. You know, it was just, he, he made sure to engage with this, this young person and um, he's only 10, like my guy. So he made sure to engage with them and um, help them out and, and um, bring them into the in kind of into the click a little bit, you know, and, and just looked out for him. And, and there was two different incidents like this. And, and I said to him, um, and I, I get, um, I get emotional. I say this, I said to him, you know, thank you for doing this. I love you. What, but why? I want to know why, like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm curious. I'm, I wasn't pressing him, but I'm saying it to you guys. I'm saying it to you myself. I was like, why, what was, he goes, well, dad, I watch you doing this. I watch you helping people out. And I realized like, that's what we're supposed to be doing. And I'm like, this is it, man. That's the whole thing. Like, that's it. Forget the money, forget it all. It's about that. And that's, yes, I'm doing that in my own house, but if running around doing 60 days of service with a t-shirt, with a caricature of my face on the t-shirt, as silly as it all sounds, if that inspires adult human beings to do something, then it's the right move, you know? And if I got 50 years left, awesome. Let me inspire people for 50 years to do this because I think we changed the world. And I think that's what goes to people like you and me and the millions and millions of people that either serve on boards or are volunteers or get involved with organizations or are employed by this, by, mm-hmm. by this sector. I, I mean, you know, I, I read the numbers on a recent thing. I do this thing, nonprofit nugget, and the numbers are staggering the amount of people that work in the nonprofit sector. You know, it, it's crazy. I think, I, I think I, if I, maybe I'll get the statistics that break, but I think it's like 1.4 million nonprofits in the country. Right. Even if you just, the stats in New York City is 600,000 people in New York City work for a nonprofit organization. Yeah. It's $33.6 billion in payroll every year. So this is an important part of our sector, of, of our, you know, of our society for sure. So, so we're going to actually, we're going to split a second here and go to a quick break. And I told you it goes fast, right? We, it ah, is. We're going to move. move. We're going to move. Pretty fast. <laughs> we haven't even scratched the surface and we're on our way to a break. But like when we come back, I, I, so we talked about what drew you to service. I'd love you to walk us through your, and maybe I'll mention some of the spots you stopped before your role at Human Options. Um, sure. When we come back, I'd love to just kind of hear a little bit, almost like a resume, like, you, you know, coming out of college, you're in, involved with the gang prevention. Um, and you learned about domestic violence and, you know, let's take me from, from that to when you meet the, you know, when you meet human options and, and move into that role. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. All right. So we're going to be back in 90 seconds, guys. Maricela Rios Faust is here with your boy, the nonprofit sector connector. I'm in the attic, philanthropy and focus every Friday morning. We're going to be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you interested in having a better relationship with yourself, others, and God? Greetings. I'm your host, Dr. George Andow, for the show, A Journey Through Into Awareness. On my show, we journey into the awareness that the mind of God is the true seat of our personal consciousness. We join together each Monday at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
Profits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. <laughs> I love it. I love when my guest first gets to hear the lyrics. It's like a teaser. I'm like, listen to this in the chat. Come through the static. Join me in the attic every Friday morning, 10 a.m. That's when I'm here. And now every Wednesday at two o'clock, I am here on a different show called Professionals and Animal Lovers Show. Shout out to my co-host who just checked in on Facebook, Valerie Heffron. That show is all about organizations who advocate on behalf of animals and professionals, people who advocate and are animal lovers. And Valerie actually asked me a question for us, Maricela, for you and I, which we will get to later on. But uh, thanks, Valerie, for watching the show. Thanks for checking in. Um, we'll talk more about that because it is a valid question, but I, I want to get into what we have uh, set up right here. So here's what we're going to do. Maricela Rios Faust is the CEO of Human Options. But before that, she was the assistant program director at an organization called Community Service Programs. Then later, an organization, she was the director of family and community services at Orange Children and Parents Together. Later on, director of Orange County Bar Foundation. She was the COO, Chief Operations Officer at Human Options here prior to becoming the Chief Executive Officer. Take us down that path. So you college, you get exposed to, you know, you learn about gang violence and gang prevention. Talk to us a little bit about that, because that evolution, I think, is great, not only for us to know as listeners, but also for young executives inside of organizations who are starting out or who have, or see that ED or that C-level as an ultimate destination but how they get there. So tell us that story, please. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting when you read my bio and, and reflect on the 30 years of doing this, I realized, wow, that was a long time ago when I started. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and mentally, I, I don't think I'm quite that long in the field. Um, you know, I, it was interesting. I always knew, as I said, um, living with my parents and learning from them that I wanted to help at-risk youth. It was something that was really important to me. It was something that I, I saw an opportunity to give back and to give in ways that I had, I, I felt personally I'd received. Um, so I started working at a gang prevention program in Huntington Beach uh, with CSP. And I just met such incredible people among them, a couple of women who just were just big, big thinkers. They thought really beyond individual scope and to how do we do what we're doing with individuals, but really broaden that to community. And I, I was so moved by the ability to do that, that it got me thinking beyond right, just the individual that was in front of me. Um, and as I was working, I got to meet some really unique teens and really unique adolescents um, who taught me a lot about what I didn't know. And one of the girls um, that I met was just you know, we all know the, the one girl or the one young boy who lights up a room when they walk in. They've got like this brilliant smile um, and they just sort of really uh, embrace you and suck you into their world because they're so happy. And I remember I'd known this girl for six months. She would come to my office at least once a week, not to do any work, but just to check in and say hi. And one day she came in and that smile was gone. I mean, the light in her eyes wasn't there. And I remember thinking, gosh, like what? what's going on? And I talked to her and it was then that she shared this incredible secret with me, which was that every night um, her dad would come home and be her mom. And I remember thinking like, my gosh, like how, how did I not know that this was happening? How do you walk around with such an amazing smile? And she continued to tell me that, you know, most days um, it wasn't really bad, but the night before it had gotten really bad. And what she did was she intervened. Um, and as, in the intervention, her dad really took out his anger on her and he beat her so bad that her entire back was um, bruised. And I remember just being in complete shock. Um, and the reason I was even more shocked than the story she was sharing is because this has not been the first time. And many had actually reported it. Um, her school had reported it. Um, other providers had reported the abuse. And she said to me, I know what you're gonna do next. Uh, you're going to call social services. They're going to remove me from the home like they have before. My brothers are going to be unprotected. My mom's going to be unprotected. And I'm just going to run away and come back home anyway. And she said, but I know that's what you need to do. Um, and I remember at the moment, okay, I have all these rules, all these things I have to do. And I thought, gosh, like there has to be something more. Um, and so I did what I could to try and support her through the journey and to continue to stay connected with her. 
Um, it's something where I, I really at that point felt like there's got to be something more that we could be doing for young kids and families that are in this type of situation. Um, so I started to get more involved in different community events and different community opportunities. And I realized I can't do it by myself as, a, as, a, as an individual. Um, I can't really do all this work by myself. We had a great organization. Fortunately, our organization was placed throughout the county at the time um, and continues to be. And what I found was, okay, I, I met um, somebody that was working for a Head Start program. And I was talking about some of the work that we were doing and they were sharing that they wanted to work with families and they wanted to do some family work and talk about violence and talk about substance abuse. And I thought, oh, wow, gosh, like between your organization and my organization, we could really make a difference. And so I started to share some of my background with them. And the next day I got a call from their executive director and she said, um, we know we, we are starting this national demonstration project for Orange Children and Parents Together. And it's working on um, working with families that are um, early childhood prevention of substance use and violence. He said, would you consider coming to work for us? And I thought, well, actually that's, no, I'm kind of happy where I'm at. I don't, I don't really, I'm not really looking to move. Um, and we began a conversation where she really helped me see um, that this was an opportunity to impact kids really at an early age, is to really work with kids early on. Um, and I thought, okay, well, I'll try this. And so I started this project. Um, it was uh, I started the project at Orange Children Parents Together, and there it was a, such a unique opportunity to work with families in a way I hadn't been able to before. I got to work with Head Start families, got to see prevention efforts, got to work with the teachers at that school, um, help them identify different things, um, and just kept learning. I had opportunities to go to New York. I was actually one of my first trips to New York was when I was working at Orange Children Parents Together. And it was so amazing just to be there and to see such impact. Um, we work with Columbia University on some technical assistance, and I was just learning so much about, um, again, I can impact one individual at a time. I could work with a family at a time, but there was also some room to do some community work. And I, so I worked there for a while, uh, about four years there, did, what, um, did as much as I could to really impact that community and to build programs that were sustainable. Um, and I got a call from the Orange County Bar Association, or I'm sorry, Bar Foundation, um, and they are, um, again, at-risk kids, and they had a director position that was open, and it was doing another project that was, again, a national pilot project on early childhood substance abuse prevention, and I was just so, um, it was something where at that point in time, it was sounded a lot, it was going back to um, at-risk kids again at a higher, at a different level, being able to do diversion services. And I was excited about the opportunity. And um, it is probably the only position that I've been at the shortest amount of time. Um, and I, I remember um, being there and I was so excited and I was, I was excited about what we were working on. And I got a call from a friend of mine who worked at, who was on the board of directors of Human Options. And she said, you know, let, I want to invite you to a lunch. And so I said, okay. So I went to a lunch and sat next to the founding executive director of Human Options. And if you've ever met her, she is a um, tiny a tiny woman with just amazing impact and just an amazing energy that gets you excited about just about anything. She could, she, she just has this ability to engage you really deeply. And I remember being so impressed by what she said. And a lot of it had to do with, you know, the, the philosophy that human options always has had is to really meet people where they're at and to address the needs that they're sharing. Um, and the way that they've been able to do that has been really through unrestricted support. And it's been basically trusting the organization uh, to know what survivors need and to be able to do that. And I thought, gosh, I want to, I want to be there. Um, so when the opportunity came up uh, to, to come into human options as a director, I was uh, a little torn because I'd only been at the bar association for less than a year. And I remember talking to my, my boss at the time. And I said, you know, I, 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 um, I really love working here. I feel like I'm cheating on you. I've got this great opportunity. Um, and she was incredibly supportive because she saw the opportunity to make impact and she really saw the fit. I just, so here's the thing that's, that so, so much, I mean, I got a page of notes here, so we'll never get to all of it. But <laughs> what's interesting to me, just as a commentary on the nonprofit sector is that whole, you go to your, your, uh, 
uh, your boss that who you reported to at the bar and you said, uh, and she was supportive and she said, I see it, I get it. And, and sometimes in, at least in my experience in, in corporate America, we don't see the same thing. And I'm not making a current commentary on everything. I think culturally, a lot of businesses, organizations get it. But I just, in my own experience and growing up as a sales guy, I would see people go, oh, why would you want to leave and go do that? Why would you want it? You know, it was kind of discouraged instead of encouraged. And I feel that, I'm, again, I'm not, you know, I'm painting with a big, broad brush here, but because I'm sure it's not perfect everywhere we go in nonprofit. But I just feel like our sector, and I call it our sector because I, I feel like I'm a big part of the sector, my sector with everybody, um, is like more supportive. Like mm-hmm. we, get, we get it because it's for the greater good. Because it wasn't like, you know, because it was now what, what, well, Maricela, if you go there, there's more impact. Maybe you can affect more people. That's good for what we were all doing. So go, go do it. And I'm get, I'm gathering that you probably don't lose connections with these other organizations once you leave them. I, I, cause you know, in, in reading kind of what you're involved with and this advisory board and this community committee and it, bah, 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 that these probably are relationships that are still intertwined in, in your work. To this day, there's something what I want to understand. Um, two two things that I want to underscore. One was in a former role you mentioned um, diversion service. I want to mm-hmm. know what you mean by that. I think I might know, but I I want to. And then when we get back over here to human options, what is this? What does it mean by unrestricted support? What that mm-hmm. looks like. So let's go to diversion first. Yeah. Can. So diversion was um, first time offender. So it was young boys primarily, some young girls, but uh, young boys who were in the system. Um, maybe they petty theft or they um, got into trouble with law enforcement. And this was an opportunity to rather than be incarcerated or to go through the legal system to do um, what they called a diversion program, which was either counseling or uh, maybe it was community service. Um, so that was a real opportunity to help them learn or like, help young boys and young girls who were getting into trouble early on that there were alternatives to what they were doing. So, I, you know, on that one, I just want to make a shout out to a buddy of mine, Angel Rodriguez, uh, Lower East Side of New York City in the 70s. I don't know if you've ever heard of Angel, but I'm going to connect you guys. Um, although you're on different parts of the country, um, Angel, I met Angel because he is a finalist in the New York City Imagine Awards um, for, for leadership excellence. And Angel was uh, from founded an organization called Avenues for Justice coming out of, you know, just was a war zone in the Lower East Side of New York City in the 70s. And has, I actually did a day of service with them three weeks ago, and I'm, I was amazed. I got to go to the courtroom, and it's alternative to incarceration type type stuff. Really, look, let's let's just put it out there. Um, certain communities, the black and brown community, are more affected than than other communities when it mm-hmm. comes to getting in the system, getting jammed up for things. And and, and not only that, they, these young people maybe didn't do something wrong. The problem is that they're surrounded with that's what we do we do things wrong and they grow up in environments where you know they don't have an opportunity to see things other ways that's my commentary if look if you don't agree with it i don't know what to tell you it's just it, this is just truth everybody this is just how it is um but you know it's organizations like that alternative to incarceration um that really make an impact mm-hmm. on those communities so i'm thrilled to hear about that we are going to take another break we come back let's talk about Let's talk human options now. Let's talk because okay. we'll start with that unrestricted support thing. We I'm gonna give you a question that came from my buddy Valerie, and it's about because Valerie is so focused on animal advocacy. That's her gig, that's her bag, and that's our show, pals, professionals, and animal lovers show, big theme there. In a domestic violence situation, sometimes, often, there are animals. So would love to know if you know what what you've seen in the in the in the sphere and what's available for that. We can talk about that when we come back. Um, so now we set you up. So now you guys all have to come back and see us. We'll be back in 90 seconds. It is Maricela and Tommy D in the attic. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you a cannabis enthusiast, a cannabis professional, or interested in entering the cannabis space? I'm Johnny Tsunami, and this is Planet Baco Lolo, a less taboo view. 
On our show, we will discuss the cannabis world through the perspective of various cannabis professionals. Tune in every Thursday evening, Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m., Talk Radio NYC, Planet Paco Lolo, a less taboo view. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. Marisela, sometimes I give people a hard time, I guess, and I say, from now on, we have to sing the lyrics of my theme song when we come back. And most people are like, no, no. And then I start singing and everybody's like, no, please stop. So, <laughs> all right. So starting with a crisis hotline, four pioneering women conceived human options in 1981 because they believe that the women and children of Orange County deserve to live violence free lives. Their desire evolved into a groundbreaking perspective. Relationship violence threatens everyone in Orange County, not just that individual who is hurt, but it affects the rest of us. It affects the rest of our society. Nearly four decades later, we continue to ignite social change by leading collective countrywide responses, excuse me, countywide responses in service to those affected by abuse. Ultimately, we are empowering every person and family in Orange County to experience lives free from fear. Maricela, tell me about this organization. Tell me about unrestricted support. Let's let's jump right into human options, please. Sure. I, so I'll start um, with the unrestricted support because I think that's been such a core um, part of why we are able to be as impactful and um, and serve individuals in the way that's most needed. Um, so as as you as you know, when we were founded, we were really founded on this notion of understanding um, what was happening, and so our founder. Um, back in the 80s, actually was doing a survey and she they had noticed as part of the public health department that there was inc- incredible anxiety and depression in women and they wanted to understand why. And so they started to ask and many and what they found was many of them were afraid in their own home. And that's when they really started to understand how big an issue uh, domestic violence and relationship violence was in Orange County. Um, what they were able to do and just really kind of gain gathering that information and and trying to understand from the individuals that were impacted is really get other individuals, other philanthropists engaged in our work in a way that was so meaningful. I mean, it was basically, here's what we know is happening. There are all of these different ways that we could be working with somebody. Would you come along and support us? Um, And the unrestricted support is really essentially, it's really um, an investment in the impact and not necessarily in how we get there. Right. So what, what and, and I'll say more, it's basically um, supporting us to do the work that we're doing without putting restrictions on um, why well, I want you to do it in this way. So, for uh, example, is that because yeah, I want to hear your example. But is that because if it was if it was strictly driven programmatically and we said you have to do these things, you have, and it's very, very similar. I can't mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. Angel Rodriguez from Avenues for Justice because something they, they've been very proud of is um, their ability to be flexible. Where, where if they had government dollars, they might be only work, able to work with a child, a young person for six months at a time. But that's not even enough time to really get a relationship going with, you know, if you take the maybe the fears and, and distrust that, that these young people might have, it takes time to build a relationship, right? So 
So, uh, you know, it's something Angel is talking to me about is, is that same situation where it, they are, they, they could have made different decisions, but they made a decision to be able to be as flexible right. as they can based on the, where their money comes from. Yeah. So it's talking to me. So, so yeah. investment in the impact versus this specific thing. Is that, is that right? It's, it's, it's along the lines of what you're saying. It, when you, when we have unrestricted support, what it essentially says is we have the opportunity to explore what works, right? Cause if one, are we have, um, we, you know, our, our, our funding is about 50% government and 50% philanthropic and it, and it ranges depending on the year. Um, what government funding does is it allows us to establish good infrastructure and support as a, as a startup and to try some things out. What the unrestricted support is, is it really allows us to um, pivot and to adjust when we need. So um, the pandemic is a great example. Um, having unrestricted support allowed us to really put resources in areas where we knew we had the highest need based on what was happening at that point in time. Um, when, you say that, when you say areas, do you mean geographic areas or you mean areas of need what do, what do you mean by that? I, so I mean the way that we delivered the service so for example if we were um, contracted as a as a government you know in a government contract if we were contracted to do home visits and home visits are no longer safe mm-hmm. um, then we have to adjust and go through a whole process to get that approved um, whereas if we are um, saying okay this is a changing need right um, home visits it's not going to work we need to now invest resources in getting people on tel- uh, on some kind of social media app or we need to make sure that um, the clients we're working with have access to computers or that our that our staff have more access to being mobile and doing more virtual meetings right, like, um, it wasn't necessary before right. it, it wasn't necessary for everybody to have an ipad or some kind of tablet or whatever right. to communicate right i go in the field that's what i do i'll call in when you need me but you know it's i'm on i'm on the road but that's right. when that's taken away from us as it has been yeah. you have to as you say pivot yeah. And, it's, and, and, and and Tommy, you talked about it a little bit earlier, right? There's, there's, there's um, some similarities between the for-profit and the nonprofit sector, and then there's distinct differences. The nonprofit sector doesn't tend to get resources for research and development like the for-profit sector. So when we have unrestricted support, that's an opportunity to try things out just to see if they work and to really, again, we're hearing this is a need. We'd like to be able to see if, if we can respond to that need um, and then developing a program or, or, or a service or something that can help meet that need. And then coming back and saying, look, we tried it out. Um, now we know it's impactful and now we can go and pitch it to other people. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. Um, and what a great way. Thank you for, because I, I like to see things. So thank mm-hmm. you for explaining it. Like look at R&D versus we don't get R&D dollars. So right we can use this unrestricted dollars to go test out test things out okay yeah. right so so talk to me programmatically what the organization really looks like you know what somebody has uh, you get a phone call you get a recommendation you get some kind of there's some announcement not announcement but you become aware of a need somewhere what is mm-hmm. that what happens now for that individual how do, how the, how can they achieve uh, re- receive help from yeah um, so, so a couple of things, right? We, uh, you know, we started off as a emergency shelter with a 24-hour hotline, and um, women, children, men could call it in, into that 24-hour hotline and get access. And at that time, right, 40 years ago, the immediate need was to be able to flee an abusive relationship. So, emergency shelter was the key. Over time, what we've found is sometimes there's a need to get support, but maybe the situation isn't one where you need to flee. You've found some other way to be safe. Um, and you need some type of, uh, uh, maybe you need counseling services. What we're finding right now is really a high need is legal advocacy services to met, to navigate uh, a restraining order, to navigate visitation with your children. Um, and so our, our 24-hour hotline has really expanded to meet a more robust need where they're able to connect to different services, not just our emergency shelter. Our emergency shelter has evolved over the last 40 years to not not be a um, not just have safe haven in that one location, but our goal is to really extend the safe place and to create safe safe haven in a variety of locations. One could be um, if there's somebody who is living in their own home, um, is maybe the abuser um, needs to leave or has exited the home, and the only thing that can keep that individual in their home is to provide 
some support so that until they can become like get used to paying rent on their own or adjust to some a couple of new expenses, we would come in and support them so that they can stay in their own home. So our our, our um, what I would call our residential or housing options have expanded beyond the emergency shelter um, from the immediate emergency if you need it. So absolutely we have um, we have a place to come and safe and be safe if that's the the, the need that you have. Um, to more permanent housing where if you are able to get back on your feet and just need some support for like six months or is to help get you back on your feet with some additional financial support, help find an apartment or a home um, that you can be in to make sure that you restabilize and we provide supportive services. Um, and Tommy, I feel like I, I'd really like to share the hotline number because I know whenever yes, we start yes, talking about the organization. Yes. Yeah, so our hotline number for anybody that needs it um, because we know that this impacts so many individuals is 877-854-3594. Again, that's 877-854-3594. So that's if you are experiencing any, any domestic violence situation, or if you have a family member or a friend, right? You can, I mean, Absolutely. you can call in on someone else's behalf. Absolutely. And, okay. and, you know, I think you, you, you asked, right? Like how people come to us. Oftentimes it's through somebody that's making that connection and, yeah, you know, I've found really, you never know, right? Any, all of us have at some point in our lives interacted with somebody who has been in an abusive relationship and have either missed the signs or that individual never, no longer felt safe sharing. Um, I, I've met individuals, I actually um, had a meeting and they say one in three, one in three individuals know someone who has been in an abusive relationship. Uh, and so I was, I actually had a, uh, I'd been asked to go present to a group of men um, there were nine men in the room, and I remember thinking, like, okay, what am I going to do? It's totally intimidated, right? Here's all these men that um, generally give to philanthropy, and one of them says, well, you mean to tell me one person, like, at least, you know, three men in this room know someone, um, and sure enough, two men raised their hand, and one of them said, my daughter's been in an abusive relationship for the last 10 years, and these men were just so incredibly shocked because it's not okay to talk about it, right? It's not something that people typically talk about. Um, and so as an organization, our prevention and education efforts really are aimed to make it okay to talk about mm-hmm. uh, and to make it something that, you know, once you start talking about it, survivors and victims, they, they feel more comfortable sharing their story, right? They, they know, oh, somebody cares about me. And each time we talk about it and talk about it in a way that really says, this is not okay, you should not be abused. Um, that then re- it counteracts the message they're getting at home by the abuser, which is nobody cares, this is expected, and it's completely okay, and it's your fault, right? So anything that we could do as a society to change that narrative for them is incredibly important. You know, thank you for that. And, and we'll share the, uh, the hotline number again at the end of the show shortly. But the other thing I want to say is, I think it's related is the challenge of mental health in this country or the challenge of how we have this stigma around mental health and the conversation around mental health. And I'm sure mental health is very interwoven in this, in the domestic violence world. Uh, but I, I think to that point, in within, I don't know, man, in the last like, two years, we've, we're shining a light on this mental health conversation. And then, you know, I'm sure it goes to a lot of celebrities that, that have stepped into this and, and, uh, but, but, you know, it's the same conversation, I would think. The more that this can be, for lack of a better way of saying, a dinner table conversation, the more the awareness would be there and people will be able to come out and have these conversations, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a minute. When we come back, I want you to address this because I got we got to get an answer on what's happened with the dogs and cats. I want to, yeah, right? And then the partnership with the Santa Ana Police Department, which is something that you shared with me months ago, and we mentioned it again this morning. I want to hear that, how that works. So we'll be back and we will uh, bring the show to a crescendo and and uh, we'll get to what Mary Sella and Human Options needs, who they want to meet with. We will do all that when we come back. 90 seconds, philanthropy and focus here in the attic. Mary Sella, Rios Faust, Human Options, and your boy Tommy D. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. 
informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. Have you ever thought of reinventing yourself? Are you looking to create a new life's journey? Hi, I'm Kevin Barbaro, host of Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 5, 8 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live to hear me and my guests from a variety of different backgrounds. As a former college coach and a current full-time actor and owner of multiple companies, my show is as eclectic as my life. That's Coffee Talk XL every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. That's right. Go through the static. Join me in the attic, nonprofit sector, the attic, the whole thing. All right, listen, I'm here and I'm here to amplify the message for nonprofit organizations. I'm just a mouthpiece, though, right? I bring on the specialists to tell us the stories. So let's go back. Maricela, what happens quickly in your experience when there is an animal, a dog, a cat, a parrot, um, a, a, a salamander involved mm-hmm. in the uh, in this situation? Um, how, like what resources do you have as an organization to plug into other organizations? Yeah. Um, so human options itself, um, we actually partner with another organization. I wish I had the name for you and I can send it to you later, but um, that actually will, will shelter animals um, when somebody has an animal that needs to be sheltered while they're at our emergency shelter. Other shelters throughout the state of California, sometimes some of them will actually have the ability to bring in pets. Uh, we unfortunately do not. Although we can have them in our transitional housing setting, just not our emergency setting. Got it. Got it. Okay. But again, that's to go back to my earlier notes, co- collaboration with, uh, you know, these other organizations, early childhood prevention, the prevention, the alcohol substance abuse. I wrote that down because I wanted to point out collaboration. That's my favorite part about when, when I see nonprofits getting together to work together. So, so shout out to organizations that are supporting the animals. I would love that introduction because mm-hmm. Valerie and I would love to support them and, and have them come on professionals and animal lovers show. So what, let's get into this piece here with the, with the PD, with the police department, because this to me was uh, when we first met months ago and we did a zoom call like this, although no one was watching, it was just you and I, but yeah, you know, and I brought it up again early this week and then early this morning we spoke, you know, I, I think what, how thoughtful of a program to have an, an and, and again, maybe it goes on all around the country, but I think it always starts with somebody having this initiative how thoughtful for a program like yours, for an organization like yours to partner up with law enforcement. And I want, I'll be quiet. So I want you to tell the story about sort of how that has happened and, and what it does, what, what the impact of, of that relationship is. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, as an organization, as I've shared, we've always really believed in partnerships and partnering in ways that um, are, are meaningful, right? So there's things that we can do and there's things we know our partners do way better than we do. Um, so part of what we would do as an organization is we'd go into police briefings to share uh, resources. And we'd talk a lot about here's the signs, here's what happens when you go on a call, here's a resource that you can have. And found that for the most part, we were getting some traction, found that, you know, officers would do referrals, um, they would actually connect, but also found that like many other professionals and many individuals, that there's a barrier, there's only so much you could do because they need to know someone on the other end. So if they're at, on a call and they're encouraging someone to use a hotline number or if they're um, doing particular resources, they need to actually have someone to talk to. So we um, are in the city of Santa Ana and we have got a pretty large presence. We're in two locations there and really wanted to go deeper into that community and say, we wanna make an impact here. Uh, the city of Santa Ana at the time had a five-year plan that focused on um, domestic violence and child abuse. They were their top priorities, something that they really wanted to address as a city, which I think is a unique opportunity. Um, So we started a conversation with uh, the chief of police at the time 
and talk to him about, you know, we really want to do something more. There's an opportunity to apply for a victim's uh, or VAWA, Violence Against Women Act grant. Um, would you consider applying with us? And um, we got 100% buy-in from the chief of police, the city of Santa Ana, because it fit their priorities and us and said, we want to we basically do something where we'll send an advocate on a ride-along with you. Um, you have a dedicated police car or unit um, that responds to these calls. And that's the, and really, that's how do we support the survivor um, on these calls in a way that's meaningful. Um, it was a great opportunity, A, to, to be there and to do what we call kind of micro learning students to say, okay, well, we know that there's some, there's a primary area of work that you're needing to do, you need to respond to the crime. Um, our work is to support the victim. And so how can we do that? So really kind of supporting the victim and the survivor and saying, here are resources that are available to you. Um, and I think just really um, what we noticed right away, Tommy, was just be knowing that they had somewhere to send someone began to increase the number of calls where um, they were actually handing out our business cards and our, our advocate business card way before we had the advocate in the car. Um, and so they, it was there was a level of well, even even in the beginning, just oh. not just the relationship to get together, the break bread, split a bagel, whatever it was that that camaraderie. And I have somebody on the other side, so I'm not. If I'm an officer on the street and I'm not just saying, hey, here's this 800 number, call them up. Yeah. I say you can you can help them visualize when you call. Here's what's going to happen. I know these people. We have a relationship. Right. Yeah. When it's a, and it's also this opportunity. Right. Because, I again, we all have very distinct jobs. Right. There's there's different roles that we all play. And so we you know, as as, as advocates, we can play a role that maybe law enforcement officers cannot. And we have easy access, not easy access, but we have quicker access to resources. And so what we actually had to also learn was sometimes um, in our own process that we have in screening individuals and you know whether we have enough beds and all of those different things, that creates a barrier for many of our partners. And so being open to hearing that feedback and hearing like, oh, well, when I call, this is what happens and being able to say, this is how we're going to adjust or even hearing from our the those that were serving and saying, well, I, I called and um, the police report isn't ready, or I, I need I need that in order to get a restraining order. Is again, it's dialogue. It's really entering into a space. But isn't where that there's partnership? Isn't that, respect. Mm-hmm. isn't that what partnership really means? Absolutely. Right? It's, it's a communication. Mm-hmm. It's it's taking down those barriers and saying, look, there's going to be bumps in the road. Yeah. Sure. Like yeah. one of us is both of us. We're all going to screw this up at times. But how yeah. do we how do we it's a marriage. It's a business partnership. It's any sort of partnership or alliance like that. Yeah. yeah. It, that well, and and people. Yeah. I mean, and to your, your to your point. Right. I mean, people act when they feel like they have um, they have a resource and somewhere to connect someone. Right. I mean, we we actually in, in this partnership, probably one of the, the, the most heartwarming stories that came out of it was we had an officer who he wasn't even on duty. Um, right. He wasn't even on duty when he actually when he came across a survivor. Um, somehow they got into a conversation. He was in a position to help and connected her. This was off duty. Right. But it was it was the skills and the knowledge that he learned. And not just that, but feeling like I trust these individuals and I, I know I can connect you. Um, that made a big difference for, for protecting protect and serve. Right. You know, listen, Absolutely. shout out yeah. to law enforcement. We We know there are the majority of, of law enforcement professionals are just that professionals and care about our communities. Um, you know, uh, it, it's tragic what happens at times, but that is not law right. enforcement. Those are bad apples. There's bad apples in every organization. Uh, but look, somebody on, on and off day that is still, you know, serving, looking around and seeing an opportunity and making that connection and making that referral. Give us the hotline again real quick, Marcella, in case. Yeah, you- it's 877-854-3594. 877-354-854. You do it again. I'm going to be quiet. Go. Do it again. One more time. 877-854-3594. Perfect. Thank you for doing that again. Mm-hmm. All right. So here's what I want to know. We're, we're in the lightning round part of the show. What Are there any specific relationship connections? I do have uh, a community out on the West Coast. I do know some people out there, and I mm-hmm. obviously know people all around. Or are there certain things you're looking for the organization, relationship, board members, anything that you want to put out there that you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, so we we are absolutely always looking to get connected with individuals who would uh, like to join a board of directors um, and just sort of begin to introduce our organization and see where your passions lie. Um, currently, we need people with specialty in marketing and communication 
or technology. Those are areas in which the nonprofit sector doesn't tend to be the strongest, but would love some support in getting our message out. Um, also, you know, going to our website at www.humanoptions.org. Um, we have a lot of different ways to get involved here in Orange County, whether it is through our sisterhood program, which is a group that, of, of women who meets four times a year to do drives for our organization, um, or it's just doing a drive on your own. Our holiday party, our holiday events are coming up where you can adopt a family. Um, or if you'd like to just learn more and get involved um, in the organization, we would definitely love to have a conversation. Humanoptions.org. One last thing I want you to mention, I'm looking at the website now, the annual fall luncheon, mm -hmm. Thursday, October 14th, Marriott Irvine Spectrum. That doesn't, not relative to me, because I don't know what, where that is, but you West Coasters certainly know where that is. <laughs> so, um, and you'll have Rachel Louise Snyder will be at that event, right? Journalist, right. Author, domestic violence advocate, her book her, is called uh, No Visible Bruises. So, um, and to find that out, you can just go to humanoptions.org slash forward slash fall event 2021, or it's actually just on your homepage right now as I'm looking at it. So absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We'd, love, we'd love for anyone who's interested to join. It's a great way to learn about the issue and the organization and find ways that you can get involved. Maricela, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for, uh, that's not like a song. Uh, thanks for being my friend. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being an incredible leader in advocacy and an incredible leader in nonprofit, which is my favorite part of the world. So I appreciate you being here. I look forward. We were chatting. We were saying we got to connect you with this one. We, so there's yeah. plenty more of this conversation offline. But thanks for being here. I will bring the show to a close. Uh, this is Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connected. This program is called Philanthropy Focus. And we're 36, 37 episodes in of a, just an idea I had one day. And now it's actually real and it's out there in the universe. I'd encourage you to check in with me because I have a special thought leader each and every week from a nonprofit organization. And uh, next week, Tim Cummings from the organization called Great Expectations out of New Jersey. He's their chief operations officer. He will be here with me virtually in the attic. That is until I start inviting people really in my attic. Um, how, do you, how do you follow me? Uh, look out for 60 Days of Service. Look out for um, uh, for me on Facebook, uh, Philanthropy and Focus on Facebook, Tommy DeMisa on Facebook. And then also check out the Instagram and the TikTok, TommyD.NYC. You can see a lot of stories and things that are coming and going uh, in that world. Stay tuned. Steve Fry, the SMB guy, will be here on talking uh, on TalkRadio.NYC, followed by Jeremiah Fox. Maricela, thank you again for being here. All right. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks for having me on. Right on. Make it a great day. Make it a great weekend, everybody. I'll see you later. Bye. Nonprofits need connections to move in good directions. So cut through all the static. Join Tommy in his attic. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift educate and power. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Did you know that nearly one in five adults in the U.S. battles mental illness? Hi, my name is Albert Dabba. I'm the host of the show Extra Inning. Extra Innings, I discuss the topics of wellness, mental health, and the experience of surviving multiple suicides within my family. Listen live every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern to Extra Innings for discussions with sports figures, artists, mental health professionals, and many others. That's Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? 
Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 